Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy has backed out of a conference hosted by prosperity gospel preacher Andrew Womack. CBS anchor James Brown has too. We'll explain why they backed out later in the program. And Alan Stanford, who amassed billions of dollars in a Ponzi scheme that used unwitting Christian financial planners to sell his investment products, is now serving what will likely amount to a life sentence in jail. More than a decade after his sentencing, some of his victims make it some of their money back. And prosperity gospel preachers and others made more than 300 flights on private aircraft during the month of February alone. We'll have the latest in our Pastors and Planes project. We begin today with more news about Canacook camps. Canacook abuse survivors testified at a hearing uh, late last month on new legislation in Missouri that would modify the legal process for reporting child sexual abuse. On February 13th, survivors and family members of victims of sexual abuse at Canacook camps, which of course is a popular evangelical camp just outside of Branson, Missouri, testified before the Missouri House Judiciary Committee in support of a new bill regarding the statute of limitations for sexual abuse. The bill, HB 367, would extend the civil statute of limitations. As a result, victims may file civil action any time before the victim turns 55. Furthermore, the bill would allow survivors to revive cases that authorities had earlier dismissed uh, before the bill's passing due to these statute of limitations issues. Elizabeth Phillip testified before the committee that the non-disclosure agreement her brother had to sign as part of his abuse settlement with Canacook left him afraid to speak about the incident to anyone. Yeah, Elizabeth Phillips' brother, Trey Carlock, died by suicide in 2019 following his abuse by Canacook counselor Pete Newman. Newman is now serving two life terms plus 30 years in a Jefferson City, Missouri prison for molesting children. Phillips said a short statute of limitations tends to silence survivors and let perpetrators just run out the clock. She said that the average age of disclosure of childhood sexual abuse is 52. Uh, Missouri currently stops the clock at age 31. Ministry Watch reported last spring that at least two Canacook counselors have gone to prison for crimes committed while on staff. The prosecutor overseeing Newman's case said the number of victims could be in the hundreds. Additionally, Lee Bradbury pleaded guilty in 2013 to four sex-related charges involving campers at Canacook. Five other men who served on Canacook staff in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s were convicted of sex crimes perpetrated after they were on Canacook staff. Our next story involves a controversy with prosperity gospel preacher Andrew Womack. Yeah, Tony Dungy and James Brown, two black 
broadcasting pioneers and committed Christian laymen withdrew from Andrew Womack's annual men's event, an event that they had headlined for years. Womack explained that the cancellation was because of his stance on homosexuality, and by that I mean Womack's stance. Womack is an outspoken opponent of homosexuality, and Tony Dungy has spoken out against homosexuality as well, but Dungy's position has gotten him in hot water with his secular broadcaster bosses. For those who don't follow sports, Dungy is a Super Bowl winning coach who has been a football analyst for the NBC Sports since 2009. Brown hosts the James Brown Show and the NFL Today on CBS Sports. And he served as guest anchor for the network's flagship news show, the CBS Evening News. Both men were featured in promotions for the event, which takes place this month, but then they disappeared from the website. Brown, who has not spoken out on LGBTQ issues, vanished from promotional material back in January. A spokesperson for CBS Sports confirmed to Ministry Watch that Brown would not be participating in Womack's event, but that spokesperson did not give us a reason. Warren, let's look at one more story before we take a break. It's the latest chapter on a story that you've been covering for more than a decade. Eleven years ago this month, in fact, on March 6, 2012, former billionaire Alan Stanford was convicted of perpetrating a $7 billion Ponzi scheme fraud, using, at least in part, a network of Christian financial planners and others who unwittingly brought their clients into the scheme. And you're right, Natasha, I first wrote about Alan Stanford when I was with World Magazine. Uh, I'd been covering Stanford about two years, even before his 2012 sentencing. Now, last week, we've got a new development in that case. Toronto Dominion Bank said that it would pay out more than $1.2 billion uh, to settle a lawsuit by investors who had been defrauded by Allen Stanford's scheme. Uh, though lawyers will get a significant percentage of this settlement, it will provide some small measure of justice and a little bit of restitution to the thousands of people who lost money in Allen Stanford's uh, Ponzi scheme, which was one of the biggest financial frauds in history. So how much will investors actually get back? Well, with this latest settlement, Stanford investors will recoup about $1.6 billion from all the financial institutions combined. Uh, after lawyers, however, take their cut, the investors will probably get no more than about 10 cents back for every dollar that they lost in Alan Stanford's fraud. And what happened to Alan Stanford himself? Well, as I mentioned, it's, it was a little uh, over a decade ago that he was con that he was sentenced to uh, uh, prison for fraud and money laundering. He's serving now a 110-year sentence, and uh, that will that should amount to being more or less a life sentence. Uh, you can read an in-depth Ministry Watch report on Alan Stanford and his connection to the Christian financial planning world by going to Ministry Watch. Dot com and typing Alan Stanford's name. That's A-L-L-E-N, Alan Stanford's name, into the search engine. We're going to need to take a break. 
But when we return, we'll have the latest on ministry leaders and their private jets when we look at the Ministry Watch monthly pastors and planes list. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and we'll have that story and much more after this short break. everyone, I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Well, up next is the story we promised before the break, our February list of pastors and their airplanes. February is the shortest month of the year, but pastors and ministry leaders still managed to get 323 and a half flights in during the month. That's down slightly from January's total of 387 flights. And by the way, the reason there's a half flight is that because of time zones and takeoffs and landings, sometimes a pastor will take off on one day, but land on another. We count those as a half flight. This is the second month we've been doing this list in conjunction with the Trinity Foundation, and that's a little early to identify trends, but is there anything about this month's list that jumps out at you? Well, it appears that at least one of the jets may have been down for service for a good bit of the month of February. Samaritan's Purse owns a Falcon 900EX jet, and it's spent a lot of time in Lincoln, Nebraska. There's a large jet service center for Falcon jets in Lincoln. And by the way, Textron, which is the parent company of Cessna and Beechcraft, has a large service center in Wichita, Kansas. And uh, Bombardier has a service center in Wichita, Kansas as well. Uh, I mentioned that because it reminds us that these jets are expensive to buy, but they're also very expensive to keep safely in the air. Now, when you say expensive, just how expensive do you mean? Well, some of these jets, uh, the ones that we're tracking in this Pastures and Planes project, cost more than $10 million new. And the operating costs for most of the jets that we track are between $5,000 and $10,000 per hour. And a lot of these flights are, are of course, multi-hour flights. Um, what that means is that claims by some ministry leaders, such, for example, as John Ankerberg and Jesse Duplantis, that using these jets are more cost-effective than flying commercial are, are simply not supported by an objective view of the facts. Now you mentioned John Ankerberg, who's the host of a popular television program on Christian apologetics and worldview, but he didn't show up on this list. 
No, he didn't show up on the list. That's because Anchorberg uses NetJets, which is a fractional leasing service used by lots of corporations, celebrities, and even some professional sports teams. So his usage doesn't show up on this list, but we've written about his Jets uh, usage elsewhere. And as near as we can tell, that began back in 2020 and continues today. Our next story is one that brings good news for King's College. Yeah, the King's College in New York City has secured a $2 million bridge loan from a Canadian businessman uh, that will enable it to stay open through the rest of this academic year, through the spring semester. That, according to the Empire State Tribune, the student newspaper at the King's College, which, by the way, is an excellent paper and has broken some of these stories that we've been reporting about King's. Uh, The interest-free loan is from a man named Peter Chung. Chung is the CEO of PrimaCorp Ventures, a company established in 1995 to invest in post-secondary education, health care, and senior homes, as well as real estate, storage facilities, and other social enterprises. Uh, King's uh, engaged them as a contractor back in 2021. The Tribune also reported that PrimaCorps, which held five seats on the college's board of directors as of April 22, is severing its relationship with King's. Sources told the newspaper that the college hopes to pay back the loan with a pending government grant, its COVID relief money that it's due but hasn't yet received. But if the college does not get the grant or closes before receiving it, the loan from uh, uh, Peter Chung will convert to a grant. So this sounds like good news for King's. Well, it does, but honestly, it's not entirely clear, Natasha, whether it's good news or not. For one thing, this is obviously just a stopgap measure. This loan will allow the college to finish the academic year, so uh, this year's senior class will be able to graduate, and that's good news. But plans for the fall are still very much in doubt, and some faculty members are actively looking for other jobs. In fact, I've seen some of them posting very public Please on uh, social media, including Facebook, for employment. Further, though, the King's College has a great story to tell, and thousands of alumni scattered around the country and even around the world, its fundraising has been anemic since the crisis was announced. It appears that donors have been reluctant to give to the school because the current leadership, especially the board, hasn't been able to chart a credible path forward. Uh, Peter Chung, who gave uh, this current loan and his company, uh, PrimaCorp, are also controversial. And some donors are saying privately that they don't want to give to Kings as long as Chung and PrimaCorp are calling the shots. Next up is the story of a former student ministry leader at one of South Carolina's largest churches. He's now been charged with 13 counts of assault and batter of minors. Vernon Tyrell Willis, he's 26 years old. He's a former youth pastor at Seacoast Church Dream Center. He's been accused of inappropriately touching 10 
juvenile females without their consent, according to the North Charleston Police Department. The girls were between the ages of 13 and 16. Seacoast said in a post on its website, which does not name Willis, said only that a staff member uh, had inappropriate interactions with an employee and a minor on December 5th. Uh, The church said it immediately placed the employee on leave and barred him from the church campus while it investigated the report. After determining that the employee had violated the church's code of conduct, Seacoast said it terminated him from the position within 48 hours and reported the incident to law enforcement. Students and parents at the church were informed of the termination, they said, and were offered counseling resources and the opportunity to meet with Seacoast leadership. But attorney Mark Pieper, uh, who represents some of the victims, said an investigation by his firm found that the church knew of Willis' activity as far back as 2020, yet still allowed him access to female minors without supervision. That according to a news report from Channel 7 in Charleston. Seacoast said that it has also engaged an attorney to investigate. Warren, we have one more story of sexual abuse, and this is one we've been covering for more than a year. It's the story of Mark Rivera, a former lay pastor of a conservative Anglican denomination who was convicted in December of felony child sexual abuse and assault. He was sentenced on Monday of this week to 15 years in the Department of Corrections. These were the minimum sentences that he could get for his crimes. The judge earlier found Rivera guilty of two counts of predatory sexual assault of a victim under 13 years of age and three counts of aggregated aggravated criminal sexual abuse of a victim under 13. Rivera will get credit for time served in jail already and uh, will uh, and spent under with an electronic monitor, an ankle bracelet in other words, and will be eligible for parole when he completes his full sentence. Now some of the victims were not happy with this outcome. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Sharon Marie's young daughter first came forward with sexual abuse allegations against Rivera in 2019 when the girl was just nine years old at the time. Her daughter is one of at least 10 victims uh, who have um, made abuse allegations against Rivera since then. Now, she says that she's relieved that this long wait is over, that it's been years, literally, uh, since these allegations first came were brought forth, but she is not satisfied with the sentence. Uh, She said this, we're disappointed by the verdict and by the judge's complete disregard for the aggravating factors. Rivera is still waiting trial for felony charges that stem from rape allegations made against him by a former neighbor. Warren, let's look at one more story before we take another break. It's the story of a Florida pastor who faces 12 charges related to fraud and theft after authorities say that he sold church property for $600,000 in order to support his drug habit. Police arrested James Edward Smith II, the pastor of New Jerusalem Baptist Church in Pompano Beach, on multiple charges for allegedly defrauding the church to support his drug habit. 
An investigation began in April of 2020, almost three years ago, after parishioners and church founders complained that Smith deceptively gained control over the church and its funds by forging a transfer of property ownership. Authorities discovered Smith had filed the forge quitclaim deed that allowed him to take over the church's property. He then sold the property for $600,000, allegedly, as I said, for drug money. Officials made that claim in a press release. The Broward County Sheriff's Office also charged Edwards for larceny and fraud associated with over $1,600 worth of checks he wrote via the church's bank account. On Tuesday, February 28th, police arrested Smith and booked him in the Broward County Jail. When authorities searched Smith's home, they found heroin, methamphetamine, marijuana, a stolen firearm as well, and those uh, fines led to additional charges. And he now faces uh, charges of organized scheme to defraud, fraud, grand theft, criminal use of personal identification information, unlawful filing of false documents against real and personal property, and a long list of other violations. The church website, though, still lists Smith as a pastor and says he is a third-generation preacher. Smith, by the way, is married and has four children. And I should mention, Natasha, that one of the reasons that we report on financial frauds pretty frequently here is not only because, you know, they're in the news and we're kind of in the news business here, but also to remind church and ministry leaders that this is a fairly common crime. According to the Center for Global Christianity, which is a part of Gordon-Conwell Seminary, nearly one-third of churches will experience some form of financial fraud during the life of the organization. And it's also relatively easy to prevent or at least to discover if it happens. Just a very few safeguards, such as an annual audit, Um, A few simple internal controls um, are all that are necessary to prevent most frauds. And we've written about steps that your church can take. Just go to the Ministry Watch website and type the word embezzlement into the church engine. And that story, along with some helpful hints that you and your church can use or your ministry can use to prevent this kind of fraud, that story will pop right up. Warren, we're going to take another break when we return our lightning round of ministry news of the week. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. We like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What's up first? 
The Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability, ECFA, has suspended the membership of First Baptist Church of Fort Lauderdale, Florida, while it reviews the church for compliance with one of its seven standards for financial integrity. Standard number four, to be specific, uh, which relates to the use of resources and compliance with the law. It reads uh, like this. Every organization shall exercise the appropriate management and controls necessary to provide reasonable assurance that all of the organization's operations are carried out and resources are used in a responsible manner and in conformity with applicable laws and regulations, such conformity also taking into account biblical mandates. All organizations accredited by the ECFA must comply with its seven standards of responsible stewardship. Uh, Jake Lapp, who is the ECFA's Vice President of Member Accountability, confirmed to Ministry Watch that uh, FBC Fort Lauderdale is, in fact, being reviewed while its membership has been suspended. Now, uh, First Baptist of Fort Lauderdale has been a member of the ECFA since 2013. And First Baptist of Fort Lauderdale is not the only church that ECFA has suspended recently. The uh, ECFA has also suspended the membership of Converge, which is a church planting and missions organization. They suspended Converge late last year in October. Uh, Converge has been a member of the ECFA since 1980, one of the early members, a member for more than 40 years. According to the ECFA's membership changes report, Converge was uh, is under review for comply for a failure to comply with or possible failure to comply with standard number three. Uh, standard number three relates to financial oversight. Every organization shall prepare a complete and accurate financial statement. The board or a committee consisting of a majority of independent members will approve the engagement of an independent certified public accountant, review the annual financial statements, and maintain appropriate communication with the independent certified public accountant. The board shall be apprised of any material weakness in internal controls or other significant risks. So again, uh, Converge is being reviewed for a failure to do these things. It's located in Orlando, Florida. Converge traces its roots to a Swedish church planter in Illinois 170 years ago. It was formerly called the Baptist General Conference. Then it became Converge Worldwide in 2008 and finally Converge in 2015. Who's in the ministry spotlight this week? We feature live action in the ministry spotlight this week. It's led by well-known pro-life activist Lila Rose. Uh, Lila Rose founded Live Action in 2008, and it's best known for its undercover videos of abortion facilities. But it's grown to more than $7 million in annual revenue. It's one of the best-known pro-life groups in the nation right now. That said, it doesn't get great ratings from Ministry Watch, and we wanted to highlight that in this ministry spotlight. It's not a member of the ECFA, and it spends about 16% of its annual revenue on fundraising, which is about double what its peers spend on fundraising. It has a donor confidence score of 63, which takes it out of the give with confidence category. In our uh, system, it means that you can still give, but you should exercise caution. Who's in Christina Darnell's Ministries Making a Difference column? 
Well, she has a very robust column this week, and I'm not going to highlight them all, but I will mention E3 Partners. They're sending two short-term mission teams to serve refugees along the U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, The teams will be deployed later this month and also in April. Uh, By the way, um, E3 Partners gets a 96 on our donor confidence score, which is just about as high as you can get, and an A transparency grade. Also wanted to mention Atlas Free. Uh, They are an anti-human trafficking organization. Uh, They have um, rescued nine trafficking survivors into a partner's safe house in Uganda. Uh, the uh, safe home provides counseling, food, medical care, and community uh, to these victims. Atlas Free, by the way, works with over 40 partners in 25 different countries to fight sex trafficking. And they get a 100 donor confidence score and an aid transparency grade from Ministry Watch. Again, one of the very highest scores uh, that we offer. And finally, I want to mention Blessings International said that it marked its busiest first quarter ever in 42 years of ministry. It shipped 25 tons of pharmaceuticals that were distributed to people in 56 nations and helped an estimated 2.99 million uh, people. Once again, a very high score for Blessings International from Ministry Watch. They have a 96 donor confidence score. These are just a few of many organizations that Christina highlighted this week, and I should also mention Convoy of Hope and the Fellowship of Christian Athletes as well. Do you have any final thoughts before we go? I did want to remind our listeners that if they give to Ministry Watch during the month of March, they'll receive a copy of my book, Faith-Based Fraud, Learning from the Great Religious Scandals of Our Time. We've offered this book in the past, but it's been more than a year since we've done so, and we've had literally tens of thousands of new people join our email list. So we're making it available again and hoping some of you will find this book to be helpful. Um, It's our thank you for a donation of any size to Ministry Watch this month. Just go to the, the Ministry Watch website and hit the donate button at the top of the page. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Sedith. Writers who contributed to today's program include Jessica Adderalde, Kim Roberts, Ann Stike, Steve Raby, Catherine Post, Christina Darnell, Rod Pitzer, and you, Warren. Special thanks to the nonprofit Times for contributing materials for this week's podcast. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.